You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And today we've got a special guest on the Bose Nose Show, where we have Bill London, co-host of the Wake Up Call on AM 1120 KPNW, and also Newsmeister Supreme for the, the radio station there. And Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really glad you're here because we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to cover a huge breaking story locally, and not just um, a huge story, but a story that lasted days and kept changing. Um, and, you know, I have a little bit of insight to this. You know, one of the things uh, people may, may or may not be aware of, my dad worked for CBS News in Washington, D.C., and I remember things like him not coming home for several days during the Cuban Missile Crisis as a, as a five-year-old or not coming home for several days during the uh, post-King assassination riots in Washington, D.C. when I was in fifth grade. Um, yeah, those, those are some of my memories of you know, him having to sleep in the studio to cover constantly breaking news. Um, when did you first hear or understand that something really big was happening? Were you in the studio or were you at home? Um, well, actually, I had completely disconnected myself um, on Labor Day weekend. Um, had turned my phone off. I was absolutely um, not connected whatsoever. And so my first uh, inkling that something was going hideously wrong was about three o'clock in the morning and I'm driving into work and I'm hearing emergency alerts, that wonderful little digital, uh, you know, supposed voice saying, uh, you know, this is an emergency alert, leave your home and so on. And I'm like, oh, this is not good, and walked into the station, and it was just from that point forward, uh, so that would have been Tuesday morning, from that point forward until the Saturday night, um, I was essentially living here at the radio station, and when I say living here, I mean that in a literal sense. I was sleeping on a couch for a couple hours during the night in the sales office and spending the rest of my time trying to get information about what was going on. And it was, to say the least, um, it was nerve-wracking because there's a lot of people. I mean, you get the idea because your emails are blowing up. Um, you're getting all of these phone calls, and you and you know that people are starving for information because they're not getting it. And when you're in the information business and trying to get information, it's like the, the pressure just ramps up. And then there's other issues like, okay, is the source you're actually talking to, is this person an, an accurate source? Do they really know what they're talking about? How official are they? Then you throw in social media and all that stuff. I mean, it was a lot of um, there was a lot of filtering that was going on, but it was it was stressful and not a whole lot of sleep. And I mean, there were so many different moving parts to it. You, know, you think of a flood. Okay, you just have you have water. 
and the water comes in, and yes, you know, there may be some homes lost, but this is completely different because of the way that it's spread. You have the issue of smoke, um, you know, all of the different combinations of these problems that kept coming up because of the fire and the growth of the fire. Um, It's just, I've covered floods, and this was so completely different from that, um, so completely different from a windstorm. I mean, this this felt more, and I don't want to overstate it, but it really did feel more apocalyptic than just about any natural disaster um, I think I've ever had to deal with, and that includes windstorms and, like I said, floods and, you know, the snowpocalypse and, and all of that. This this had a completely different feel to it and much more intense. Yeah, it, it definitely did for, for me also, having been a commissioner during snowpocalypse and windstorms, and, you know, I was at EWEB for several windstorms and other events, um, even, you know, doing all the prep work for Y2K and that, that dud of a non-event. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it was apocalyptic. Um, you know, I don't think there's been any other event that has destroyed over 400 homes in Lane County. Um, there hasn't been an event that's displaced thousands of people, um, you know, in Lane County like this. Um, we've had events that have caused power outages um, sure. broad, broadly. People didn't get power back for eight or nine days, maybe. But there are people that won't be without power or even, you know, home for, for a year or more um, upriver. So it, it definitely was a, a, apocalyptic. It was actually a very appropriate description, I think. It almost felt like Wait. we were at war. Well, it did, yeah. and I think you and I at one point, um, I, if I recall correctly, we had a brief um, email discussion about where I think I, either you said it or I said it and brought it up that this feels more like a war than than it does anything else because of, you know, I mean, you're strategizing, the the, the firefighters are strategizing how to control this thing, um, you have these evacuees, which essentially are refugees from a burned-out, bombed-out area. Um, you've got all these different moving parts, you know. I mean, everything from uh, these people need a place to stay. Um, how are you going to get supplies to them? You know, the, the the issue of the animals, and it just was this very much had that feeling of, my gosh, we're, we're under attack. And then you throw in, what, uh, at one point, 14 other fires that were burning concurrently with it that were uncontained. And it really was, it just felt like it was coming at you from, from all sides. And for me, I mean, yeah, you have the, the Holiday Farm fire, but, you know, um, the Archie fire, burning, the Thielson fire, which is burning down by Diamond Lake, and uh, even the fire that was burning up there in, in Lincoln County, I'm getting phone calls and emails from people that want information about that, because we do have a coastal footprint with our signal. And I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, how do, how do I juggle all this stuff? <laughs> I'm having a hard enough time with the, with the fire that's right here in our own backyard and trying to get information about the fire in Lincoln City. I mean, if you recall, uh, they evacuated Lincoln City because that fire was literally moving right into the outskirts of Lincoln City, Devil's Lake in that area. Um, and there, there were a couple of days there where it was, it's like, oh my gosh, we're under attack. And then you, you throw in on top of that, that just hideous, acrid, heavy smoke and ash just that added to, you know, the gravity of the whole thing. It was, you know, and and trying to report on that and thinking about things that you're th- that I'm thinking. Okay, what do people really want to know? Um, what is it they need to know? 
whether it's you know dealing with air quality, um, whether it's dealing with where are you going to donate items for these people, donate items for the animals, and even I mean there was an issue that blew up for about probably a day with volunteers that were trying to help out uh, the evacuees at that first evacuation center, which was over there at Thurston, then got moved to Silky Field, and then ended up moving to, um, you know, where where it's at now, the the uh, uh, Masons. I, I mean, in an, that in and of itself, I spent a better part of an afternoon trying to find out who was really in charge of that center after they had opened it up and who was really in charge of uh, just the the volunteers and scheduling volunteers. It was, I mean, there was a lot of confusion there and a lot of well-meaning people that from, I mean, the um, uh, McKenzie River Trust and you had the Red Cross in there and I think the Rotary was helping out and there were several other local groups and all of them trying to do good and trying to help and all of them i think a lot of them kind of bumping into each other and inadvertently getting in each other's way um i mean that that took up a good part of an afternoon just trying to sort out who who really is in control of that particular situation yeah yeah and it's got and it got to be where we had so much donated goods that it was beyond what could be distributed. And, and people were bringing some things to that, that site, like whole hams. And it's just like, you know, what is it? What is somebody staying in a hotel going to do with a whole ham? Uh, but so, you know, we ended well, up I know what I do. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up having to coordinate with somebody like, you know, well, how do they cook it? You know, or, you know, he didn't know it. But it was one of those things where we ended up coordinating uh, some of those kind of things that came that were perishable or, or needed refrigeration, getting those out to food for Lane County um, and coordinating with them. Yeah, that, that was, you know, on our end, that was, a you know, such a moving thing. And, and one of the concerns there, too, was there were people uh, repeating rumor at that site and, and trying to to tamp down some of the rumors that were generated at that site were, were really causing problems. Um, there was one group that was talking about the Red Cross was completely out of rooms at one point when Red Cross wasn't. Um, then after we finally kind of tamped that down, it did turn out, you know, for one day, the Red Cross had a, had a short waiting list for rooms. But yeah, it's been trying to, to get the right information out there. And I really appreciate what you talked about, about trying to see if people were the right source and filtering that information. I spent a lot of time on social media trying to calm people down and saying, you know, wait till you get the real facts, you know, particularly the arson aspect. Um, oh, God. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about Which, Antifa setting fires. I, I feel yeah. for the Douglas County Sheriff, John Hanlon, um, at one point, and I saw this on social media where people were saying that the Douglas County Sheriff had arrested six Antifa members for starting fires. And it blew up um, on a number of different, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. And you know, the sheriff, I don't know if you saw his statement about it or not, you could tell he was absolutely livid, um, and mainly because they were getting inundated with phone calls, and here they are. I mean, they have two big fires burning there, one that's now 100, almost 132,000 acres and another one that's around 10,000 by Diamond Lake. I mean, and Douglas County is, in terms of resources, probably has, in some regards, less resources than Lane does, and wasting their time with these phone calls uh, and them trying to quell the rumors. I mean, his statement about it was, you could tell the guy was really angry about it. Um, And that was, you know, um, 
the the social media aspect of it, and I'll give you kind of my one of the things that I was running and kind of chasing my tail on is I had seen on social media that there had been a fire that popped up along Shotgun Creek. And that's, you know, kind of off in the out in the Maracola area in an area where there had been no fire. And this is going crazy on Facebook and trying to get through. And at that point, you know, getting through to Infinite Command was kind of an iffy thing because they're scrambling in nine different directions, uh, only to find out that, yeah, there was a new fire that, that had popped up, but it wasn't anywhere near Shotgun Creek. It was at a creek, but it was just outside of where they had just recently dug uh, or tried to build a bit of a fire line, and it had hopped it. It burned to about 10 acres, and um, but it wasn't really near any what you would call a populated or an area with, with homes or anything like that. Shotgun Creek, you know, you're kind of in an area there where there are homes and stuff. Um, so that was, you know, one of those afternoons. It's like, okay, I, I got to figure out whether this is the case or not. And turn, come to find out, no, no, as a matter of fact, it's not. There was a creek. You're right there, but not the right creek and not anywhere near there. So, uh, yeah, the rumor mill was, was really running rampant. Um, you know, you were talking about the, the donation site. And there were all of these calls for volunteers, and the Mackenzie River Trust had set up a uh, website where you could actually sign up for certain shifts. Well, that completely filled, but there were other groups out there that were looking for volunteers, and I actually got emails from people. One of them in particular was angry with me, saying that I was shaming people for not doing enough and that they have all the volunteers they need. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, uh, well, that's funny because I just got off of the phone with the Red Cross, and they're saying they need volunteers. I don't have any control over the McKenzie River Trust website, and it's not that they weren't trying, but that's what I meant by people running into each other, all well-meaning, yeah. all trying to do the right thing, all trying to help. But it did seem like there was no, if you will, centralized command that was in place at that particular location for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, and it did kind of that. That's one place that kind of was just got out that this is where you take donations, and a bunch of groups kind of or people just started showing up and helping sort stuff, and it became a a, a um, completely self-managed sort of chaos there. Um, where it really wasn't sponsored by anybody, and, and that that became a really tricky situation to, to manage. And it, and we were getting donations of things that weren't necessarily needed at the time, and weren't weren't important to have at the time. And, and it, it's you know trying to get people to understand that, and, and you know and you know truckloads of of goods that we're going to have to get moved or sorted and, and categorized, and you know. Uh, getting those to the right people and all that. Uh, it was fascinating. It, it, it's, it was great to see, you know, because it mm -hmm. really shows the people of this area and, and Lane County and Oregon really want to step up and help, but it wasn't necessarily the, the most efficient way to help. And uh, yeah, it got, got pretty chaotic. Got to be a place where a lot of rumors started and, and were passed on. Um, and just, uh, yeah, you, it's probably one of those things where we're going to have to, when we're doing after actions and lesson learns, besides finding a new computer voice or emergency alert system, <laughs> yeah, that won't, that won't mispronounce wind as wine. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you understand the difference between Lane and Lynn County, um, <laughs> Or right. Lynn Co. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that and how we handle uh, volunteer contributions and donations, you know, knowing that that, that may be a, a, a reflexive action in the community. I don't think we were prepared for 
the overwhelming size of that reaction. Um, it, and, and frankly, we were trying to do 10 other things too. You know, we, we were worried right. about getting road, um, you know, getting folks located, you know, our animal control people are working to set up the fairgrounds and, and working with, you know, Green Hill and, and you know, 900 different places we're going as, as, as the, the, the government, you know, that should have been trying to help handle that in some ways. But that was definitely a place where we're going to have to think about that in the future, you know, for future events, um, making sure that we, you know, are a little bit more proactive in managing that volunteerism. Well, and, and that's one of those things. I think I was talking about that on the air this morning. Um, on the wake-up call was that, and just like you said, and I'm kind of mirroring what you said about the, the after hours, you know, you can have the what you think is the best emergency plan in the world, and it's only when you implement that plan do you realize, oh, didn't see that one coming down the pike, and yeah, I certainly didn't foresee that. And you can play all of the you know, the war games that you want to, to try and work the bugs out of your plan. But, you know, that was one of those things that who, who would have ever predicted something like that? I don't think anybody yeah, could have ever predicted that. Yeah. Yeah. Truckloads and stuff. I mean, they, when they were at Silky Field, it actually got dangerous how they were stacking stuff up in the bleachers. We were worried about somebody getting buried by an avalanche. It's one of the reasons why we, we, chose to do some relocation work with that was to try and one also to get it out of the weather because we have that rain event was you know, predicted and hopefully we're going to get another rain event today because we're getting too damn much wind right now for my comfort um, and, and I'm hoping there's some rain following that wind I can't imagine the fire managers are very happy about this wind um, but it's uh, you know that that you know overwhelming donations and, and, and folks wanting to volunteer was just something that was not predicted. Um, but, you know, I, I do believe, though, that Lane County, because of our experience with Snowmageddon, our experience with some of the floods and windstorms, and, you know, that we kind of made uh, resilience a really important thing that we're trying to promote here in Lane County, personal preparation as well as the county's preparations, we did a better job than a lot of places did and, and came through this a little bit better. You know, we, you know, you actually heard emergency alerts as you were driving to work that morning because our system was working for us. You know, right. And, and we had, had that in place, even if they might not have been totally intelligible um, with the computer well, voice, but, uh, you heard, but you heard, you heard them. And the thing is, uh, you would have had to have known that even with many of them not being terribly intelligible, you know when you start hearing two or three of those within 5, 10, 15 minutes, you know something serious is going on, and that is giving you a heads up. That was not the case in some counties, and Jackson and Josephine were two of those. Um, the fire, the Almaden fire that, that burned through Talent and Phoenix, which was just as apocalyptic as what happened up on 126 for those communities, they received no messages whatsoever. The only messages they had were the local area law enforcement driving down the street at 5, 10 miles an hour with the loudspeakers telling people, you need to evacuate your homes immediately. Um, that's, that is not uh, a terribly efficient and ideal way to try and get the message out. Um, because, again, you can only move so fast through those neighborhoods. Sending that message out on the loudspeakers, get out of your neighborhood, even in smaller communities like Talent and Phoenix, is still going to take you a while to get from one end of town to the other. Um, so yeah, um, a much better job than than some of the counties were were able to do. 
So that's, I mean, and that says a lot. You have a pretty good emergency manager for the county in Patience Winningham. Um, she's a smart gal, and she is somebody that actually is passionate about the job, has a degree in that particular job, and that's, it's her thing. She's passionate about it. You know, one of the things, and this is going to come as maybe kind of a surprise to some people, uh, it used to be, and it's not that way necessarily as much anymore, uh, particularly in the more urban counties, but rural counties, a lot of times that emergency management came under the umbrella of the local county sheriff's office. And a lot of times the person that was the emergency manager was they may have been a captain at the jail and doing, you know, their normal work, and that was something that was kind of thrown in their lap because somebody needed to be the emergency manager. And that just wasn't in their wheelhouse. Um, and other times where people were put in that position that, you know, uh, they weren't fitting in anywhere else, and so, okay, well, we'll make them the emergency manager. And they have no clue about what it really takes to control and, as you put it, resiliency to, to really have a plan and have all the working parts and know what step one, two, three, and four is. Um, and a lot of counties, and I can tell you one of those is down there in Jackson and Josephine counties, that's pretty much where they are. You know, they didn't have a professional emergency manager. It was somebody that just, all right, well, let's, uh, this is, you're going to be doing this along with everything else. Oh, uh, okay. And that's yeah. not really a way to run an emergency. Yeah. And if you think about Josephine County, they're a county that almost went bankrupt a few years ago. So they, mm -hmm. they have almost no control services. I, I don't know if you remember the famous 911 call from the woman while the ex-boyfriend was breaking her door down. Mm -hmm. To the one dispatcher, that was Josephine County. Um, so that they're, um, they're so limited just by their, their lack of resource. Um, so I kind of, you know, but Jackson County, on the other hand, they're not quite so limited. Uh, um, and they have a pretty different tax, you know, structure there. And they've got, a, you know, pretty, a little bit better tax base and revenue base. So I kind of, I'm kind of taking it back that Jackson County got caught so flat-footed. Josephine, they're, they've been in trouble. Them and Curry County have been balancing on, on the head of a pin about bankruptcy and, and lack of, of, of sheriff's patrol or, or even a jail um, for years now since uh, the end of the Secure Rural Schools uh, timber payments and just what the whole spotted owls done to their economy. Although Josephine's sort of rebounding on pot now. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Rebounding on pot. But, Thank goodness for pot, Jay. Oh, dang. Yeah, Everybody then, fire one up for Josephine. Yeah. yeah. But it is, uh, it, you know, it, I do feel like we, we did a pretty good job. Patience is incredible. You know, when we kind of stole her away from the city of Eugene, her first day on the job was Snowmageddon. Mm -hmm. That was, that. welcome to Lane County. <laughs> Here's a major emergency patient, and she managed that incredibly well um, and, and did a fantastic job, um, you know, managing our EOC through that. And then now she's had to deal with, you know, working with our on a completely different kind of emergency, which is COVID-19 and our emergency operations that have been up and running since February on that. And that's a, a long, slow-burning emergency. And then, then you get something like this thrown in on top of that. Um, a lot of our folks that um, have been trained to man um, the various section head places and, and various positions in an emergency operations uh, ICS structure were already connected to that public health ICS. So we had to borrow people from there that were already, you know, having been working you know, weekends and nights, et cetera, in that, that scenario. So people were worn out coming into this. 
and then this just you know added to that. Um, and like you, they they were sleeping at the county um, and and probably didn't go home till Saturday night also. Um, so yeah, I think uh, hats off to our folks, and and we've got some help too. We got folks that came over from Deschutes County loaned us some personnel. In fact, Deschutes County did a lot to uh, help us. Uh, with law enforcement on the east side of the fire. They basically right. have been doing a lot of patrol work up there and everything. So I just can't say enough good things about the help we've got from partners too. But yeah, this is just such an, an unprecedented event that, you know, I, I can't say enough is so unique. This, this weather system that set up these fires doesn't happen very often. I mean, the last time you know, that has been well documented, one of these hit Oregon was the Tillamook burn, you know, back in the 30s. So 90 years, 90, you know, 80, 90 years ago, we had an east wind event of some similarity with equally catastrophic problems. I think the reason this got to be so catastrophic is there's a lot more people in Oregon, so there's a lot more power lines. If you think about the 30s, we were just getting rural electrification in the 30s. Now, everywhere there's electric out there, and that combination of electric and windstorm and the super low humidities with that east wind, um, it was just devastating. And that, and then to have yeah. people try and make this be about either arson or climate change, you know, really was unfair, you know, to go there first, you know. Yeah. Truly, truly well, a unique well, I think I think too. Um, we still don't know what caused all of these fires. I mean, for instance, the Beachy fire—that was a fire that was had already been burning since what mid-August. That uh, the Oregon Department of Forestry just kind of was like, "Well, let's just sort of let this burn. We'll kind of contain it, and we'll just sort of let it go." Um, I mean, that was a big part of why the Beachy fire happened. But I think something, and we'll probably find out more as the investigations continue into this, I think there's going to be a whole series of different things that really either caused this or exacerbated it. Um, There probably will be some, we'll find that down power lines, if they didn't cause at least a couple of the fires, made them worse. Um, But it also happened during a Labor Day weekend. When people are out camping, they're barbecuing, um, they're doing the campfires uh, and everything else. And I'm kind of thinking that there is a possibility that we're going to have probably six or seven different things that really came together to cause this. And it just happened to be all of them happened at exactly the same time at the wrong time. And it set a million acres eventually on on fire. That's kind of the way yeah. that that I'm kind of viewing it. I wonder if this hadn't been a holiday weekend, whether it would have been as bad as it was. I think the Beachy Fire that was destined to happen um, with the way that that fire was originally handled, and then that strong easterly wind coming up. I think that one was inevitable. The others, uh, I I imagine there's probably going to be a number of reasons, and yeah, down power lines maybe some of it, but I, I I'm still not convinced that it's going to be all of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know the initial assessment on several of the fires is looking towards you know down power lines as, as ignition sources, um, but yeah, it, it's I, I I still encourage people to wait you know, let the investigations get done and get the final reports on this stuff before they start running around with either it's Antifa or the the alternate story was it was the Proud Boys doing it to blame it on Antifa. Yeah. 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 I I think... Go ahead, Bill. Oh, I was going to say, you know, um, I think one of the, the... the most interesting stories, at least as far as um, our 
local fire, um, the Holiday Farm, was that part of the reason that county or part of the reason that they were able to get some early control on this thing was because of the arson fire over near Mapleton. And those firefighters were already essentially in the county. Um, when patients uh, mentioned that, we interviewed her, I think, a couple of mornings ago and talked about that. And I remember thinking, wow, what, what an odd, ironic twist that a 430-acre arson fire, and that was an arson fire over by Mapleton, um, how ironic that if that had not have happened, we would have been completely unstaffed at trying to get a handle on the uh, the west end of this fire. It, I mean, in some ways, and I, it, people are going to maybe chafe at it, it's almost kind of like a blessing that that happened. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it, and, you know, that, that particular fire was after, you know, started on a Sunday after a Friday afternoon of having four very suspicious fires right near my house um, mm-hmm. you know, that started that. You know. And, of course, you know, even while those were happening and, and people were starting to report fires in places, there weren't even fires and all, you know, I, I know what you mean about trying to filter Um you know, because we were getting reports of fires here, fires there, and I was kind of trying to find out directly from um, either the, either our um, our EOC folks that were starting to stand up for that particular incident, uh, and our our PIO, uh, is this a real fire, or am I? You know, I'm getting a report of a fire here. Is that verified or not? Um, so I I know what you mean. I spent that entire Friday evening trying to sort through a lot of misinformation about where fires were, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it just seems like, um, and, and that's, you know, those two particular incidents coming right ahead of this are one of the reasons why people were so willing to believe that, God, I'm getting about a 30 mile an hour gust through here, um, that, that something was, was um, you know, man-made, you know, at, mm-hmm. here we have, and, and then on top of it, you get that idiot that tried to start the fire at Frisbee Golf Course because, you know, Highway 58 was the, the last remaining road over the hill that hadn't been closed yep. down. So I think he thought he was going to try and close 58 down. Um, uh, so it's, it, I can see how people, you know, would go immediately there. But, it, it, you know, we, we need to have people, you know, do what you do, which is, you know, look for a a good source, um, verify that source and, and wait, you know, have, have the patience to wait before blasting something out on social media um, and, and starting the rumors that, that then take forever to try and fix. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, a lesson you could learn from you. Well, so I want to. Okay. So, go ahead. Yeah, I if you want to go ahead real quick, and I want to shift gears in a minute here. Sure. Um, well, one thing I was going to say was, you know, when you're doing your after-action report, and I know the county will, um, I, I, how do you, as a county, and when you have an emergency like this, is that is there ever going to be some sort of counter plan to be able to try and crush the rumors early so that you don't have this kind of panic going on. I mean, remember up in Clackamas County, I mean, you had citizens that were up there that were, you know, doing their own roadblocks looking for <laughs> Antifa and and whoever else uh, potentially going through there that looks suspicious. Um, yeah, you know, how, is a, how do you do that? Yeah, um, yeah, we... We did our best to try and, you know, squelch what we could. I think the FBI's statement that came out um, fairly quickly was was important. Um, I, I put that out heavily over social media, and I was just, you know, slammed 
for putting that out there <laughs> by, by people that would normally support me because, you know, it didn't follow what they, what they wanted to believe, which was this was all Antifa and, and, and just a continuation of, of the, the Portland riots or something like that. Um, yeah. And, and they, you know, for some reason there was a desire to let it, that, that some of those folks wanted to believe that in the FBI's statement that there wasn't any um, organized ex- extremist group behind these fires, um, you know, was, was quickly to come out. And I think we tried to put it, you know, make sure that got legs and got out there, but you know, it, it's really tough. Um, uh, people want to believe sometimes what they want to believe. Um, and, uh, trying to shoot that down times. I even posted pictures of a friend of mine's cabin um, up in, in Ordell Lake area where fortunately it wasn't any fire, but their tree after tree snapped off and blown down <laughs> from, oh, wow. from the windstorm, you know, and said, this, you know, this is why, you know, mm-hmm. let's see. Fortunately, all the utilities are buried you know, around, around there. Um, and, and so they didn't have any fires and apparently, or, and people were smart enough not to have any campfires going at the time that wind came up. But, um, you know, you can just, you know, trees are five feet in diameter, twisted and snapped off, you know, uh, it, it, you know, definitely the winds were somewhere between 50 and 70 miles an hour at times. Um, so it's kind of like, that's not, that's not arson that's driving that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mother nature. Yeah. Mother, mother nature is a bitch. Um, so <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And she's mad as hell in 2020. Uh, oh, no kidding. Yeah, I, somebody yeah. told me, yeah, wait wait until New Year's Eve when 2021 looks at 2020 and says, hold my beer. It's like, get out of here. Stop. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. Go away. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've Googled, and I'll, I'll, I'll make this quick because I know you want to shift gears. Uh, you ought to Google worst year ever. <laughs> and... And Google worst year ever, and the uh, historians have chimed in on it, and it was the year 536. That was considered to be the worst year ever to be alive. Because of a volcano. Yeah. Yeah. Have you uh, you seen that? No, I haven't. I'll I'll have to Google that one. Entertainment yeah, it's, later it, oh yeah, it's great if you're into the apocalyptic stuff. That one that'll make you feel a lot better about what we've dealt with this year. If you you read about five thirty six, it's kinda like, oh, yeah, okay, that would have been worse. Anyway, you said you wanted yeah. to shift gears. Yeah, before we get too far along, um I wanted to to talk a little bit about property taxes, but I also want to remind folks that they can call in if they've got a question for you or me or a comment at 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation because we do have people that call in just to listen on their cell phones because they might be driving or not near their computers. Again, it's 646-721-9887 and just press one. So, Bill, you had an interview with Michael Coles, um, and I know it looks like it's spelled Cowles, but it's Coles is the way he pronounces it. Uh, and, uh, oh, thanks. He, he, yeah, just so you know for the future. Um, he's a yeah. Lane County uh, tax assessor. He's a, it's an elected department head in, in Lane County, um, but he's a pretty darn smart guy and all that stuff. And um, and is actually a real leader amongst tax successors across the state because he's just technically really sharp. Um, and you guys talked a little bit about what it takes to maybe get some property tax relief. And I wanted to try and get that out on the Bose Nose show here because I think that's important for some of the people that might have been um, had their homes damaged or destroyed by this fire. Um, and 
even if it's not this fire, if it's, you know, a tree fell on your house or you had a, had a regular house fire, um, there are ways to get property tax relief. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what Mike um, told you on the program? Sure. Um, what you're talking about, of course, is proration. So they're prorating your taxes because obviously on your property taxes, you were paying for the property and the structures on the property. And if the structures no longer exist on the property or they've been heavily damaged, um, you should be prorated on that. And that is what they're going to do. So, I mean, the example that he gave is that, um, you know, they look at it as far as your taxes go, your property taxes, on a monthly basis. And so you would be prorated based on the months that you were able to be in the house. And I think it's, what, the end of June? It goes, uh, what is it, the end of June is the beginning of the, the new tax year. So you would have, you know, you were there obviously in July and in August and then September, unfortunately, if your home was destroyed, you would be have to pay those two months worth of taxes and the rest of it would be prorated. And one of the things that came out was, you know, you still own the property so that there will still be a certain amount of property taxes on it just based on the plot. But a lot of your property taxes are, of course, the majority of them are based not just on the property, but on the structures on it. So there would be a proration uh, on that. And the easiest way for you to get that particular process started is uh, here, I think it was two or three days ago, uh, and you can get this from the county, there was the assessments there, the property assessments that went on with the urban search and rescue teams that went through the area. And they mapped all of the different houses that were either damaged or destroyed. And all of those addresses are on this map. You can click on each one of those addresses, and there's photographs of the condition of each one of those homes. Unfortunately, along Highway 126, and it's sad to say this, most of them were destroyed. But they took photographs of that, of those structures, and that really, you can download that on a laptop or computer or your pad or whatever and contact the tax assessor's office, and there's your evidence right there. And that gets the ball rolling. And it's better to do it sooner rather than waiting to do that. So it's a way that you can get started on this is simply by going to that map. And I mean, shameless plug here, if you go to our Facebook, my Facebook page, Wake Up Call 1120, it will be, I've got the contact information on uh, fire update for 921. I believe there is a link for it on the Lane County website so you can just use that as the beginnings of filing your paperwork. Um, you can contact the tax assessor's office by calling them. There's forms at lanecounty.org slash A-T, Alpha Tango, or you can email them. Also, uh, this Friday they're doing another one of the uh, multi-agency resource centers at the Lane Event Center that is going to be happening, I think it's 10 to 5 this time, um, where you can talk to the tax assessor and you can get that started. Um, a little different if your home was damaged and not a complete loss, because then an assessor is going to have to come out, you're going to have to look at it, you're going to have to go kind of back and forth and kind of come to some sort of an agreement about what those taxes should be. So uh, I don't know. Does that kind of cover what you wanted to look at there, uh, Jay? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And I just, you know, I'm glad you brought up the uh, multi-agency resource center that's going to be at the fairgrounds at their Lane Events Center um, from 10 to 5 this Friday, because uh, there will be representatives of assessment and taxation there 
to help people with this process uh, if it's a little too confusing for folks. Because um, we really don't want to be collecting taxes on something that's no longer there. Um, and, and so I'm sure they're going to be helpful in trying to get that done. But it brings right. up another thing I want to kind of make people aware of. When those folks get their taxes reduced, that means that uh, you know Upper McKenzie Volunteer Fire Department will stop receiving those taxes on that. Um, this you know McKenzie School District will stop receiving those taxes. Um, so the various local di you know districts and special districts out there are going to really be hurting over the next couple of years until people get rebuilt and that tax base comes back. And um, you know. That's, you know, as you think about um, Chief Rainbow and her heroic um, deeds in those first couple days, while she's doing all that, knowing that, you know, her house is gone and, and she's trying to help protect us, you know, at the same time, her district is going to be in financial um, upheaval for quite a while. So one of the things that, um, as a commissioner, I'm going to be really pushing hard for from the state and the feds is, uh, revenue replacement for those districts that are being impacted by the lack of property tax base due to the, the destruction of the fires. Well, good. So, uh, good good yeah. luck getting that. Yeah. Uh, seeing as how the state likes to send all that money to the Portland area, yeah, get, getting into the politics of it a little bit, uh, it just seems to be that you know, the more rural areas of the state don't necessarily seem to be equal in the eyes of all of the folks that work in Salem. Um, one of the, I wanted to mention this, though, about going back to the taxes. The onus, and Mike Coles made this clear, the onus is on the property owner to start the paperwork to get the property taxes prorated. The, the county is not going to do that. That is on the property owner, and they need to get that started. And the sooner you get the paperwork started, the sooner you get the proration on it. And I think that, that in talking to him, I think he gets the idea that right now those people that lived up there, they're overwhelmed. Staying in hotels, yeah. you know, staying with relatives – uh, going for a number of days not knowing whether you had a house or not. Some of those people weren't able to get their animals out. They didn't know if, you know, I mean, you had people up there that had horses and, and other livestock. I mean, they're stressed out. Some people not only lost their homes, but they also lost their RVs. They lost uh, their secondary cars, trucks. I mean, and you consider everything that would be in a house, uh, because they only had minutes to leave. All of those things with sentimental items, photographs, you know, keepsakes that were hand-me-downs from generations past. I mean, there's a lot of grief and a lot of confusion and just being overwhelmed. And even though, you know, if the onus is on the property owner to do this, take the deep breath, start the paperwork, and get this out of the way, because... As you go along, um, this is probably going to be one of the easier things you'll be able to take care of, and it'll be something that's going to save you some money right off the bat. Yeah, there's basically three things that, that the property owners are going to have to initiate, um, and getting their taxes reduced is one of them. Getting um, a claim in with their insurance, if they have insurance, they, you know, the insurance company is not going to initiate a claim for you. You're going to have to contact your insurance to start that process. And then also um, contacting FEMA to look at those individual assistance programs that are going to be available to folks. And I believe you also have um, information about that on your um, KPNW um, wake-up call Facebook, yeah, Facebook page. Yeah, that that actually the FEMA information is right there on that same day, nine twenty one twenty. It's called Fire Update nine twenty one twenty. Um, the taxes for the county, and then FEMA contacts, and the different uh, types of grants, loans, and the like, and programs that are available through FEMA for people that 
have lost their homes. And I'm going to go back to that interactive map because the photographs of those destroyed properties, again, you can use that with your insurance company. That's something. Here's my property. There you go. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, There it is. Uh, also, you know, with FEMA. So those those photographs that are on that site are going to get the ball rolling for you, and you don't have to worry about maybe or maybe not getting through 126 to get to your home and take photographs. There it is right there. The assessment has already been made. It just is going to take you downloading it and emailing it to the proper sources so that you can get the, the ball rolling on that. Another thing, too, and I'm going to throw this in because everybody has said this. Um, the insurance people we've talked to, um, you know, the, uh, the FEMA folks, get a notebook and start jotting down the things that you may have lost and the things that you remember and keep all of your receipts because your fire insurance sometimes will pick up the cost that you're incurring right now, whether it's for lodging or you need clothes. Um, I mean, a variety of different things. So uh, insurance can pick up some of that. FEMA picks up some of that. Start keeping a ledger. Start keeping your receipts so that you have all that stuff. And just have that notepad and pen handy to where you can jot down things as you think of them. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, you remember it's like, oh, gosh, you know, Aunt so-and-so's, you know, widget thing was, was in the kitchen, that, you know, the house, you know, quick, write that down, you know, or, or, you know, you remember the, you know, this piece of jewelry or, you know, um, this appliance or, or whatever, you know, all those things, having a, as complete a list as possible, and you're not going to remember it all at once there write every item that was in your house um, from memory in one sitting so yeah very good advice uh, Bill um, and I'm going to jump in here because we got four minutes left in the program uh, Bill you need to tell us about Montana oh god okay so <laughs> Rob on our Facebook page posted this picture of a fire and it says pray for Oregon and I'm, I'm looking at some of the posts on our, our page, and I see that Facebook has deemed it. And so here's the picture, and it's got this, big, like, gray filter over it, and it says, false information. The information was checked by independent fact-checkers. See why. And I'm thinking, it's a photograph that says, pray for Oregon. How is this false information? <laughs> So you click on see why, and the the fact check reason is helpfully in Spanish. And all I can, and I don't speak Spanish. I'm looking at it. And it's like incendio. Well, that must be fire. No este Oregon in 2020. Sino de Montana NL 2000. Thinking, so it's a picture of Montana, and so this pray for Oregon little picture and meme is now false because of. I, you're kidding. Of all the things that you could pull out on Facebook and deem false information, it's that because it's a picture of Montana. So, yeah, I've been giving Rob a hard time about this for, you know, um, misuse of prayers. Because if you're going to pray, I mean, are we praying for Montana if you're looking in that photograph? Is it Oregon? What if people from Montana pray and the prayer comes back and puts out an eye? There's all sorts of different ways you could go with it. You know, misuse of prayer, uh, passing along false memes. I mean, yeah, I've been I've been given a hard time with it. So when you see references on the Facebook page about Montana, that's where the reference is coming from. <laughs> Well, Bill, I, I just want to thank you very much for being our guest here on the Bose Nose Show today. I just want to report real quick. It is now raining in beautiful downtown Elmira. Just started a few seconds ago. So now that the, you know, the wind's still whipping, but at least it's got moisture in it now. Yeah, so, good. Um, I, I, I just have to say you are one of the unsung heroes of this fire story. Um, KPNW has been um, one of the best voices to get factual information throughout this emergency. Uh, you did a great job. Um, you know, you're 
extended on the half hour news news reports, um, even you know preempting you know some of your pretty popular shows uh, for a couple extra minutes of news time um, was just a great work. And I want to say, um, as somebody that that you know grew up around the news business and all that stuff, just you know hats off to you and. Uh, Thank you very much for all the hard work and getting, keeping us informed. Well, well, thank you, Jay, and thanks for the work. I mean, I know it wasn't easy on your end either, so uh, good job on, you know, the county keeping things together and, and doing what they were able to do because it could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah, well, let's just see if we can help people get their building permits. Um, that'll be the next big hurdle to jump. Yeah. We'll talk about that another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. I want to just, you know, thank Bill and thank everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week here at 4 o'clock at our regular time coming to you from downtown Elmira, Oregon. Have a great week. Thanks for listening.